from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th and G, podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This week, we have my buddy Scott Shallot here. Scott is managing partner and head of public policy at Medora Ventures. Um, he has worked with the uh, U.S. Conference of Mayors under Mitch Landrew. Prior to that, he worked at J.P. Morgan as the head of civil engagement. And I want to talk to him a little bit this week about opportunity zones. Here we go, talking cities and opportunity zones with my buddy Scott Shallot. All right, Scott Shallot, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you. All right, so we are here to talk about opportunity zones. So what in the hell is an opportunity zone? Uh, at its most basic level, it is a new investment tool to drive capital gains to distressed areas that have been designated by governors as a opportunity zone. So the tax bill... It's the GOP tax bill the from GOP last year. The GOP tax bill mm-hmm. from last year mm-hmm. included a provision sponsored by Senator Scott and Senator Booker that allowed governors uh, to work within their states to designate up to 25% of their low-income census tracts as qualified opportunity zones. Those were approved by Treasury, and that map exists. There's a few more than 8,700 opportunity zones across the United States and the territories that are now open for qualified opportunity funds, which the law also created, to invest in real estate, operating businesses, and other uh, things that exist in those zones. So is it mostly a real estate play, or is it... Um my understanding is you take your capital gains that you've made on something else, and it's the the idea is instead of paying taxes on that, or certainly paying a, a tax a higher tax rate on that, you invest in these opportunity zones, um, and if you keep your money there for a certain amount of time, you get a reduced tax. Is that is that basically yeah. it? So the basic the basic overview, without getting into mm-hmm. accounting because I'm not an accountant, is. Um, <laughs> Uh, exactly that, that a investor can park his or her qualified gains sure. in into a opportunity fund based on how long that investor leaves those gains in, in the fund and invests in the project. And there's some timelines as to when that money has to actually hit the street. Sure. Uh, can get a deferral of the taxes for seven years it's a reduction in the amount if you keep it in for a certain amount of time and and then gains recognized on that investment if you keep it in for 10 years or more are tax-free oh. so it's a it's a opportunity to take private capital that has been recognized give the taxpayer a benefit for make moving that money into yep. these distressed areas your question about real estate a lot of people are looking at this as a real estate play sure. what kind of buildings can you purchase how do you improve the buildings and what do you Mm -hmm. do with them. Bureau of the Law really did intend for people to also invest in operating businesses. There's a lot of rules that are being clarified right now by Treasury, but they do, but there are, the intent is to help invest in businesses too that want to exist. One of the things that we're working on at my firm is how do you help businesses structure themselves to take advantage of 
the investment that could come in the form of private capital equity to grow your business, to sure. scale up. So I have a couple of clients that are working at looking at how do I go from one or two markets to more markets in zones. That gets you into sort of the full stack real estate plus play. I like to talk about this as the real question is, what are you going to do with the real estate? Okay. So how does that real estate have that impact on the community to create jobs, to okay. house either retail business or office space or housing or other that creates jobs as well as becomes a good real estate place? Sure. Because at the end of the day, you can't just invest in real estate and have a bunch of developers do something that doesn't meet the needs of those communities. Well, and it seems like, look, from the real estate front, it feels like, you know, everybody, everybody's neighborhood wants to have, you know, their yards mowed and, and, and you know, p- walls painted and things like that, right? I mean, that's that seems like a an easy one, but it feels to me like if you're really trying to do this the right way, you really want to rejuvenate some of these parts of cities um, and allow them to kind of grow on their own, build businesses and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, sure, but the real, look, I mean, go back to the beginning premise. Mm-hmm. This is a new tool for investors to invest a new kind of capital mm-hmm. with some benefits into areas that they wouldn't look at otherwise. Yeah. It still has to be a good deal. It still has to be a good investment. Oh, right. The real estate play still has to work in the market or, mm-hmm. or help grow a market. So yep. you can't just go say, I'm going to go buy a bunch of buildings in order to get my tax deferral and then wait <laughs> right. 10 years from now, sell them, and then, and then get a gain, right. um, a tax-free gain. Yeah. You know, you have to put money into that. You have to make it work. It has to meet the market. It has to meet the needs, and it right. has to help that neighborhood. It's interesting. I'm, um, I noticed that Steve Case and Sean Parker and a few other billionaires have been pushing this idea. Um, I think that's what happens when you become a billionaire. You're like, how else can people invest money or spend money? But it does seem like they at least understand. These are business guys generally and probably good-hearted business guys, but good business guys for the most part who are like, okay, how do we push some money into places it wouldn't go naturally? I don't speak on behalf of billionaires. I <laughs> hope one day too speak on behalf of maybe one billionaire, but um, I think that's right. I think that it if you back this up and just take it for what it is sure it is a it is a group of billionaires Mm -hmm. sean really led the effort Mm -hmm. to with the economic innovation group and to help get this law to where it was um the idea is yes how do you take gains how do you give people a benefit for for parking those gains now if you this is this is not a tax credit so if you invest your gains, mm-hmm. you park those gains in order for them to get that benefit. Yep. So you're basically saying, if I have a million dollars in gains this year for a sale of something, whether right. it's stock, a piece of real estate, some other, I'm going to put that away into these neighborhoods for 10 years. It is going to, you do have to be somebody who has those means sure. in order to make that kind of an investment. Then you get into how do you work with the neighborhood? What I think is most exciting, and you know, I come from yeah, that's where I was going to go next. Yeah, I exactly. come from working in mayors' offices, yep. a lot of state and local. The law. I was actually working at the conference of mayors when the law passed. What's most exciting to me is it, it forces collaboration. I mean, there's a lot of mayors and a lot of governors, a lot of economic development offices right now, really thinking about what do we do with these zones? How mm-hmm. do we work with investors? How do we work with funds? How do we build a prospectus around what would work in these neighborhoods that would still be a good deal but at the end of the day it still has to be a good deal right so, right you know, people aren't going to invest are their money in, in in this is not a charity project i mean right. charities have a great role in the world but this just isn't it right, right. this is this is a, we're going to make money so talk to me about some of the city stuff that's where i was going to go next um as i mentioned earlier scott's uh background is is based in working in and sit with cities and states with mayors and governors how are those folks thinking about 
Or, or what's some examples of stuff that's working or potentially could work? Because um, well, it's relatively new, right? Sure. And, and there are a number of organizations that are helping. Um, there's a group that was started by Mayor Garcetti, mm -hmm. has a number of mayors on the board that participate. Um, it's partnering with the Conference of Mayors, uh, the Accelerator for America Project. They're working with cities to put together prospectus guides. They are literally helping cities inventory the properties that exist in their zones, the opportunities, mm. maybe some of the operating businesses. What are the kind, What is the public infrastructure needs? So you can think about how you're gonna invest in public infrastructure to also help make sure that those investors who are bringing their private capital to these neighborhoods can benefit. Sure. Um, so, so specifically, that's like you know, if you're prioritizing where you're going to, you know, refurbish roads or run a bus line or something like that, maybe you decide we're going to prioritize that because we know investments coming and we want to show ideally, you know, kind of, ideally, yeah. ideally, yes, ideally, you're matching your public infrastructure investment. But you, but remember, this at most, it's 25 percent of the city. Okay. I mean, some city, 25 percent of the low-income census tracts in the state. So some cities may have more, but you, you as a mayor, can't just look at zones, but you want to figure out how do the investments that are coming into these zones, how does my zone become an attractive investable project area? Because there's a menu of them out there. Because now. there's a menu of them out there. Right. And the law did not require every zone get an investment, and the law right. did not require that you have to invest anywhere. So if you, CR, have a million dollars in gains you don't Which have I, to give it to baltimore or mm -hmm. or boise you can go wherever you feel like the best deal is for interesting you. interesting you don't also have to be local right you can invest yeah. you know i can be investor here and invest as you say like in boise or in you yeah, know, chicago and, and or wherever the rules are still being written on some mm -hmm. of the ways that funds will be structured there are a lot of people and accountants who are looking at mm -hmm. if i want to go purchase a building to in a city i can set up a single purpose fund sure um, there will be some funds that will be more uh, traditional funds that people will contribute to. There's some groups like Fundrise that are doing more. Pooling you know, some money together. Right. We're yeah. looking at, with one of my clients, a uh, Launchpad, which is a co-working space mm -hmm. out in New Orleans that's looking to expand nationally. They'll have a real estate play as they build their um, co-working space in opportunity zones around the country, but we want to activate those neighborhoods. They also have traditionally had, in New Orleans, a venture arm to support businesses that are in launch pads and so they opened in newark and nashville and memphis and they were opened in new orleans all opened before the law passed all opened in areas that were actually designated <laughs> as zones so we like to say that there were proof of uh opportunity zone businesses that could exist beforehand they're looking at having a venture fund to support businesses that work in launch pads or that they are in zones in addition to the real estate play of opening these co-working spaces sure. as a part of a building or in, in a building that exists in opportunity zones. And so they'll go from four to 30, hopefully in the next year and a half to two years, and then have a pipeline of operating businesses that they can support that are working in these so, markets. So let me dig into that a little bit. So that idea would be they've gone in and they they potentially would use an opportunity zone credits to purchase a building. I'm making this up. And then inside that building, they, they host their co-working spaces, of which their venture funds will, vent, will, will, will put some backing behind some of those companies with the hopes that some of those companies take off. Not, well, not credits, okay. remember. So... So they've done this. Okay. They started in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. They started in 2008 and had mm -hmm. for for about seven or eight years, operated in New Orleans as a co-working space and didn't okay. really start to expand. And this is before the kind before, of WeWorks and all yeah, those other places. And, yep. and really was, we have this great entrepreneurial community that's come to help in New Orleans. We want to give them some space. We want to work with them. They were investing in some of the companies. Some of them 
did really well. Sure. The companies, Launchpad calls them members. The members that worked at Launchpad in, in New Orleans from 2008 have created over 5,000 jobs in the city and have raised collectively $160 million in capital um, from venture and sure. other investment and have graduated out of Launchpad actually into 600,000 plus square feet of corporate real estate. So you've created a ecosystem of entrepreneurs that have grown the economy in New Orleans Interesting. post-Katrina through this co-working space by allowing these companies to succeed and supporting them at their growth stage. So when they got ready to grow out of Launchpad, you supported them. Mm -hmm. They decided to open up in Newark and Memphis and Nashville, again, before the law passed, they realized all four of their Launchpads are in opportunity zones. And so really are that full stack that you just described Mm -hmm. prior to. Now they work with developers and they can become a tenant in a building or they are now looking because of this law, are there investors that we have that may want to purchase a building that we can then become the anchor tenant on? Do we partner yep. with? And and how that equity gets mixed, batched up is to be determined in each market. But we are looking at markets across the country that are designated as zones specifically to have more entrepreneurs to build a bigger ecosystem of businesses that could work in these zones. And now because the law requires a business to stay in the zone mm-hmm. and it's place-based or that investment to stay in the zone sure. for at least 10 years. Now you're actually moving investment into places and helping hopefully diversify where venture capital comes because now we'll have we'll have a, a window into a pipeline of venture capital that can look at opportunity zones sure. and not stay so concentrated in three or four markets where we know all the venture capital right now is New York, San Francisco, or wherever else, right? Boston, Chicago. Yeah, right. Um, so how does this work on the ground? It feels to me like um, if, if I'm running a small venture fund and I want to try to find a way to spur investment, doing it in some place that's cheaper is better. Uh, doing it in some place that is, um, you know, allows my employees or potential employees to buy a house for you know, uh, a reasonable amount of money. And um, so it feels like there's a lot of symbiotic relationship there with potential venture money if this thing gets if you're rolled. If you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, you have to have a, a opportunity to work in a place where it's affordable for a workforce and where you can grow. Yeah. But an entrepreneur, just like a venture fund, has to have diverse opportunities, has yep. to be able to move around, has to be able to grow. Mm-hmm. And so... What I think this law does is it creates more space in more markets for entrepreneurs to explore. But affordability is important. I yeah. mean, you, you hear that all the time now. You hear that people want to be able to like live in a place where they can afford a house and grow. And so sure. entrepreneurs aren't just tech guys who are building apps. Entrepreneurs are small business lawyers. Entrepreneurs are I like to think of public affairs firms that sure. are one or two people that are like, you know, looking out and growing. And so yeah. so that entrepreneurial ecosystem, which really has become the new small businesses of America, mm-hmm. um, do really need more places that are favorable to entrepreneurs. And so things like Launchpad will help use this opportunity zone law to create a guide for how you build that ecosystem in places like Louisville and Birmingham and Indianapolis and other other cities that that will now have 
investors who are looking just to take care take advantage of the benefit that comes sure at more markets right and the markets are are smaller markets and kind of more uh, more attainable markets i would well, say i mean you know you see the pushback in san francisco all the time which is yeah. they've got all the smart people in the world but every house costs 10 million dollars and so what's the point right, right? <laughs> and 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 technology allows you to work wherever you want to be sure. so you can kind of go all over now one of the things that, and I, I'm really high on Launchpad is the sort mm -hmm. of model for opportunity sure. zones. One of the things that Launchpad will offer is a network too. So if we have 30 Launchpads around the country, if you, you can work at any of them, you can work in any of them. But if a company wants to scale up and stay opportunity zone mm -hmm. qualified, you can scale up in opportunity zones in oh, Launchpads. Cool. So. That's really cool. So I, I have a couple other questions about cities as long as I have you here. So the sure. first is been in the news recently. Amazon's HQ2 in New York um, was met with an awful lot of pushback um, and decided to pull out um, from the, the new member of Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, to the, the labor folks, to everybody else. It feels to me like, as a, as a guy who's done campaigns, just feels like they didn't do their homework kind of on a basic level. But what's your thoughts on that? Because there seems to be a pushback on you know, big company gets giant tax cut. Now, I know that's not what we're talking about here, but big company gets giant tax cut to come in here. Used to be like, great, we need the jobs, we need the business. And now there's a downside, which is a lot of people are saying like, look, man, like we need roads fixed. We can't have me spending our money on a billion, you know, a company that's making a trillion dollars. I didn't study the Amazon deal and yeah. I don't, you know, I, I didn't work. I'm not working on anything specific in New York right sure. now, but I will tell you that from what I read and what I mm -hmm. saw, it looked like the mayor and the governor and a lot of people did try really hard to help Amazon get in and do their mm -hmm. homework. And I think any time in any neighborhood where you can create jobs mm -hmm. and create growth, it's good. You know, again, I come from a local government standpoint, so more property tax means better roads. Sure. Means better emergency services, means more operating budget for a municipal government. I think it's unfortunate that we got to we've gotten to a place in this country where that kind of activity gets played out so much in the social media that then maybe you know again without speaking for him sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe a maybe the the calculus of do we want to go through this fight and what that does to our brand mm -hmm. worth it when we could be anywhere yeah and so in my opinion, ultimately, the people of Brooklyn lost. And this is not an opportunity zone versus not no, no, opportunity no, yeah. zone piece. Different, this is different sort discussion. Of a, you know, at the end of the day, they lost a lot of jobs. They lost probably a lot of residents who would have been contributing to the local economy. Sure. And some other community will benefit. Do you think that it means that bigger companies, more high-profile companies, so your Amazons, your Googles, whatever else, all the Ferrari companies, right. you know, do you think it's, if you were advising them now, and I don't know if you are, but let's just assume you're not for now, for, for the sake of this, <laughs> would, would you tell them to go to a second-tier or third-tier city? Would you tell them to go to Nashville or um, Asheville, North Carolina, or, you know, Columbia, South Carolina, in, uh, instead of, or Detroit, someplace where you can actually have a bigger bigger uh, seat at the table? I, I think I would tell them to look. I right. think I would tell them that given the fact that there is a really good opportunity to find mm -hmm. highly skilled workers, that there's an opportunity to put people in places where they can afford houses, your, your employees where they can afford houses, mm -hmm. um, that they should look and that they should weigh all of those things against each other. I think I would also tell them to 
be intentional and deliberate about what market you're going to go into and be thoughtful about how you enter that market. Sure. So if the experience in New York did anything for these companies yeah. that aren't asking me for advice, but I'd be happy <laughs> to give advice to, um, uh, is it, it told you that you have to think about how you become part of the community and you have to think about you know, when you go in and what you're going to be bringing to the culture, what you can do to support that too. So if you're going to put a burden on the infrastructure, what are you sure. doing to contribute to the infrastructure? If you're going to cause the need for more um, emergency services or schools or someone else, yep. how are you contributing to that? And so if you're going to be getting tax breaks in order to make that work, what are you going to be doing on your corporate social responsibility? Or how are you going to be showing that that tax break is going to actually benefit the economy and be forward and thoughtful and deliberate about that. That goes back to opportunity zones, which is if you're an investor looking to get a good tax break and do well, mm -hmm. you need to be thoughtful about that zone and thoughtful about the people who live in those zones and right. the impact that you're going to have and the kind of benefit that you'll have in that zone on that piece of real estate or to help grow that business, but also about the people who live in those neighborhoods because it's the, you know, the law really was intended to help the people who live in those neighborhoods and yeah. so and they shouldn't just be moved out to you know you can't move people out right. you have to really be thinking about like does this work in this zone and and what excites me about this and there has been some concern a lot of people will talk about the the possible the potential for gentrification these neighborhoods wouldn't be getting looked at by private high net worth people who have gains to park sure otherwise but there's a lot of public sector involvement. Mayors specifically are being very forward thinking and aggressive. And so taking the, you know, including the public sector in the investment strategy within opportunity zones, hopefully will result in more zones getting good projects that do good for the community and the investors uh, than you've seen in the past. Right. And so then hopefully that the people, the, the end result there is that the folks who've been living in that community for a while get better schools and better roads and, and better houses and stuff as a result. As this yes. Thing kinda keeps that they don't along. get moved out because investors yeah. come in and say, we're going to build new whatevers. Yeah. Right. So right. That, the, that the build does support economic growth and mm -hmm. that it spills over and that we look at this from a political and policy standpoint to say the other 75% of these kinds of census tracts that didn't get designated as zones yep. are just as good a bets if you go do this, even though you wouldn't get the same tax rate, sure, right. you could actually create more growth in these areas. And the other piece is, there's a lot of folks, and we're at my firm, Medora, are looking at a lot of the impact. So we're mm -hmm. partnering with some data folks and others to say, how do we create benchmarks so that when you come in as a fund, you can define the impact you want to have ahead of time. So are you a investor who cares about sustainability and sure. can you invest in buildings that are built to a certain code that have lead certification sure. are you building solar projects or what are we doing in some of the like everybody's focused on the cities but there's a lot of rural zones uh, yeah mm -hmm. right a lot of rural zones that could be a solar farm or could be yeah. you know could could take a smaller investment and really build something that could have an impact on those communities sure I mean, I think about even you know well, if you're building something that needs broadband, and how are you how are you as the company or the investor partnering with uh, public utilities and other right. folks to figure out how you get broadband to places that it doesn't have? I mean, that feels like a real obvious kind of uh, that's a that's a real obvious thing, and I think yeah. and from there though, how am I doing that in a way that then I might be able to attract more young people to come live here, mm -hmm. right? right? Which then gets into your original piece, which is how do I then use the real estate piece to right. this to build the right kind of housing? Right. You know, a lot of universities. If I was, you know, if I had a fund, I'd be looking at a lot of universities to say, where can we build 
employee housing or student housing yep. in, a, in a way that activates these zones, puts young people in these neighborhoods that could then maybe support local businesses that operate in those sure. neighborhoods. Then they're buying their sandwiches from the sandwich shop. And Dry cleaning, yeah, sandwiches, all that kind of yep. coffee shops. Mm-hmm. And you're creating, you're creating a better mix in right. a community. Okay, so um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't take advantage of having you here. So uh, you uh, spent much of your life in New Orleans um, uh, working for the mayor, uh, working, Two for, mayors. working for multiple mayors. Um, uh, you lived through Katrina. How's New Orleans now? Um, you know, I feel like New Orleans um, uh, was a, it was obviously a huge tragedy for everybody that you lived through. I am actually more interested in the, it feels like a lot of people took a lot of tries and chances in New Orleans to try to figure some of this kind of stuff out. I mean, I can remember, you know, Brad Pitt and other people building, you know, a neighborhood for musicians and other things. How's it doing? And like, has some of that stuff worked? Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, New Orleans is doing great, in my opinion. I think, um, you know, it it took time. Mm -hmm. And if you're a community that has been through one of these natural disasters or other tragedies that has existed and i've been doing you know puerto rico's designated as a zone the whole island the whole island wow um and there's a lot of conversations i've had some meetings with some people who are looking at how do we help puerto rico yeah it took time i mean Mm -hmm. it took a few years of how do you how do you get past what you lost to think about what you want to build um and then it took a lot of hard work of kind of bringing together the NGO community that you mentioned of mm-hmm. you know both not just the NGO community of the Brad Pitts and others who did try and sure. some some worked some didn't but yep. trying is always important with the mayor um, with the public sector who were working really hard to say how do we make sure we draw down state le- state funds FEMA funds federal yep. funds who were working across the board to make sure that there was a master plan that they were building towards while they were also supporting entrepreneurial community right um, growing a business community it. it New Orleans doesn't look that different, but it feels different because there is a young entrepreneurial mm-hmm. ecosystem. Launchpad would not have existed in New Orleans hmm. prior to Katrina in a way that it would have been able to grow nationally and be thoughtful. And a lot of things have spawned out of Launchpad that have stayed because there is this new right. this new sort of spirit. I mean, the other piece that I think is just, you know, it, it had started before, but really accelerated because of Katrina is the schools. The schools are 100% charter and the schools are, the test scores are off the charts and schools are doing much better. And I think- um, Is it because they physically had to rebuild a lot of them or because people moved around or what's the- I mean, I think a little bit of that, but they also just had to really think about like, what were we doing for kids who were here and how many kids were coming back? And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that the city proved its resilience mm-hmm. and proved that things that weren't working before the storm that they wanted to get right right and i think that they're you know they're doing really well i have an office in new orleans i I go back there quite often and i think every time i go i'm more amazed at the progress that you see and i think you know we're past that point where the problems that exist now are because of katrina the problems that exist now are because of the fact that it's a city that is a urban Mm-hmm. area that is doing well and still has areas of poverty sure. that existed before some that are you know um that still need to be dealt with and met with and so new orleans is ascending the population is growing and i think it's it's going to continue to grow it's an interesting thing because i think new orleans is much like detroit and other places where 
And Detroit had kind of the epi- economic collapse. Um, um, New Orleans has a has a, a natural disaster. But both cases, if you take out what is clearly a lot of bad pain, deaths, terrible things, if you put that aside for a second, it does give you a bit of a blank slate to rethink. If we were to go build this city again or parts of the city again, what would we put where and how would we do that? And what else can we do to make it a little bit better than we would have thought about it before? Yeah, and it's not – it doesn't mean you do everything differently mm-hmm. because there was a lot of special about why you wanted to save New Orleans in the sure, first place. Sure, absolutely. So the culture – I mean, we're sitting here talking right now and we should be at Mardi Gras. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but uh, I think, you know, the, the thing about New Orleans that I always thought was the hardest in the immediate aftermath was – New Orleans, like Detroit, and a few of these other iconic cities, everybody has an image of and everybody has an experience of. So the New Orleans that all of us who lived there or grew up there knew got exposed to people who only knew a sliver of New Orleans from the food and the music and the tourism and the visiting. Right. And, And as that got exposed and we started to think about what we wanted to be and we had this great generosity from the world. Sure. We really had a a grand opportunity to say how do we take everything that people loved about us yep make it better make it richer and then also you know think about what we want to be for ourselves and for future generations <laughs> yeah. what's a city want to be when it grows up right. that's funny <laughs> uh well scott Shallow, thanks for coming into 14th and g we really appreciate it sure always great to have scott on the program if you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, the intersection of business and policy, we'll be right here at 14th and G.